Welcome to Real Talk, real estate discussions with Andrew Kirsch. In each episode, Andrew interviews industry leaders. We'll hear their real-time opinions on today's market, their background and unique career highlights and guidance for newcomers to the industry. You can find this show at www.sklarkirsch.com and on YouTube, LinkedIn, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts and more. Now here's the host of Real Talk, Andrew Kirsch. Episode 8 of The Real Talk. Happy New Year. Great time, 2023. Um, I want to thank everybody for all the messages uh, that people have sent me about the podcast um, that it's resonating with so many people. Uh, I really appreciate the feedback. Uh, please leave a review, uh, whether you're listening on Spotify or iTunes or YouTube. Uh, I truly appreciate the feedback. Um, this is going to be an interesting year. Uh, it's it's a year where uh, a lot of people who I'm speaking to think that at least the first quarter, maybe the first half of the year could be really slow. Uh, and that once we're in the second half of the year and and the Fed has stopped raising rates, then activity will pick up. Uh, I think it depends on asset class by asset class and location by location. I think um, obviously office has a ton of headwinds and, and a lot of uh, a lot of issues to sort out. And we're going to see uh, lenders um, selling notes uh, and offering opportunities uh, on their office portfolio. Um, on multifamily, I think we're going to see lenders um, extend. And they're going to recognize that uh, we're in a uh, in a tough um, refinancing market right now, uh, and that they'll give borrowers, you know, six to twelve months of extension in order to get through this choppiness. Uh, I think retail is doing well. Uh, we're we're doing more retail grocery anchored uh, centers uh, now than we have in the last five years. Obviously, industrial is still strong and specialty asset classes like self-storage and senior housing, uh, industrial outdoor storage, uh, all very strong. So we'll see how, how the year plays out, but uh, it'll definitely be interesting. I'm really excited for, uh, for my next guest. Uh, it's the first time we're having two guests on, on at once, uh, Steve Ludwig and Eric Friedman, co-founders of not one, not two, not three, not four, but five companies all con concurrent. Uh, they have a real estate empire from multifamily owner operators through next gen uh, asset management through coastline, a construction business through turnaround solutions, a construction materials business through Tesoro. And then finally, they launched um, Valletta Capital, a private debt fund. Uh, really interesting guys, good friends of mine, clients of mine. Um, and their business model is to find a variety of income streams that are resilient to all economies. I think you're really going to enjoy our conversation. And let's listen to both Eric and Steve. What is going on, Eric Friedman, Steve Ludwig? Thanks for joining us. I'm so happy. Thanks for having us. Yeah, great awesome. to be here. You know, if if those of you um, are watching on YouTube as opposed to listening on uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you wouldn't see that Steve is his his grin is so wide right now. He's so happy to be here. 
Eric is legitimately happy to be here. Um, but first of all, Steve, what is that hat that you're wearing? So every year, Eric and I mobilize between 60 and 80 of our friends to join our company team, Team Coastline, to participate in an annual charity triathlon to raise money for the benefit of a great 501c3 called Challenged Athletes Foundation, where we uh, hand out thousands of grants a year around the world for people who need adaptive sports equipment. So for people who have lost limbs through birth defect, accidents, injured veterans, et cetera, it's really an empowering organization. And we're thrilled to be a part as we have been for over 10 years now. No, oh, that's fantastic. I know we've uh, donated and supported your charity and that's it. It's fantastically generous and we appreciate it. <laughs> I wasn't trying to plug my, my own generosity. I was actually curious of, of the hat, but then it reminded me of the great charity work that you guys do. So you mentioned Coastline. People know of you as Coastline. Some know of you as NextGen. You have a debt fund, Valletta. You've got a construction company. What are you guys? Who are you guys? I mean, I don't know. Well, Who I, are you? I'll say this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guide this into a story that Steve can tell better than I can tell. But I think the growth of our company, the vertical integration of our company, um, kind of, I, I used to use the word, grew, grew amoebically. It sort of grew out of need and essential and what we needed to do to maintain and grow our assets from there, our business plan. Uh, but I think it kind of all started, Steve, now that I think about it, when my mom was sitting next to you at that uh, legal event 20-odd years ago, if you want to tell Well, me. that's where you and I started, which is 100% true. But even one step before that, yesterday I had the pleasure of spending the afternoon with my last boss 20 years ago uh, when I was at Colony Capital, and he very politely told me I no longer had a job there. Uh, and as I was touring him around our building materials warehouse, which now encompasses around 100,000 square feet and growing, and then touring him around a, uh, a handful of our land entitlement sites, to which we're uh, looking to build uh, 1,100 units in the South Bay, he just looked at, at me and he said, you know, Steve, I'm really impressed with what you and your partners are doing. He goes, it seems like the, you know, nothing's really changed with how you operate. He goes, you know, when you're in your mid-20s, I kind of remember you as the guy who we would told, tell to do something one way. And you kind of said, nah, I think I'm going to do it my way. And then we'd say, no, we'd like you to do it our way. And you kind of look at us and say, it's not, it's not going to happen. And you've always gone out and done it on your, on your own terms. And that's exactly what Eric and I do, which is, you know, we start one thing. And once we dive into one business, uh, we might see problems in an affiliated business that we're working with. And we kind of wake up one day and say, you know what, we, we could do it better if we did it on our own. And so we'll rally a group of, uh, you know, or we'll, we'll, we'll reach out to people that we think would be very helpful or beneficial to us in a particular industry. We'll start a new business. We'll give everyone uh, ownership stake in a business. And then we'll head down the path of creating a new enterprise that can uh, add value to a pre-existing one. The, uh... So... Well, I, I was just going to mention, Eric, uh, the fact that you and Steve at least met or one of your first encounters was at a legal event. Uh, I, I can't imagine how boring that must have been for both of you uh, because I can't even tolerate legal events. Um, and Steve, uh, it definitely resonates. Uh, I think what you were trying to say is, is that you may not have fit well in an institutional environment uh, and didn't take direction from perhaps the the quote unquote the way it's supposed to be well 
hence that's why I have my own law firm as well. So that's we right. have a lot in common. But so that's why right. don't you guys describe maybe Eric, if you want to, because I want to get to like how this conglomerate started and how it grew and, and how you're navigating, you know, today's choppy waters, but just give uh, our audience an overview of the different divisions that you guys have and, and what those divisions do. So we've got, uh, we've got acquisitions because we're buying buildings. We've been doing that since 2002. We then asset management. So we have a team that's overseeing those assets, overseeing the progress and the business plan as we underwrite it. We then have our property management company that runs the day to day. And I think that's what separated us from other companies out there is we run our buildings ourselves. And that sort of happened in, after the last downturn. We we're spending a lot more time at our assets than our property management company was. And property management companies are mainly fee driven. They're not business strategy driven. So they just want to get people in there. They want to push their fees. We looked at it and said, hey guys, what if you attack it this way? How do you connect your underwriting in Excel to your operations? And we're able to combine that and bring that together. That then fast forwarded to our renovation company. Because how can we save costs? How can we do stuff on our own and control the cost of renovation of updating? And then fast forward now, you know, about a year ago, we launched our materials business, or I should say broke it off from our renovation company and recently launched a debt vehicle because as the markets change, that becomes a, a need and we're there to adapt to the market and to fill that need. So when you're at a cocktail party and someone asks you guys, what do you do? What do you start? What do you lead with? I'm a lead off. A shot of tequila. Yeah. <laughs> tequila. I'm, I'm extra in Aho. Right, so after, after a couple of shots. I'm the Mickey Hatcher of the 1988 Dodgers, Andrew Kirsch. We, we, we oh, fill no. every role. Now, we're, we're a vertically integrated real estate conglomerate is what we've become. So, so the, way, the way I like to look at it is we can be dangerous in any conversation. Every time you, you, you know, when, when you go to a conference. Well, well, you know, that, <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I like to say, you know, I like to, I like to try to, you know, uh, in any conversation, you can't make business, make a friend, so to speak. But, you know, sometimes you talk to someone who's, you know, if I'm at a conference and I'm acting as, uh, you know, Steve from Next Gen Apartments, who does multifamily value add, and I'm talking to a counterpart in the business, and we're both actively trying to, you know, look at buildings we can have a very bland, generic conversation and lie to each other through our teeth about what markets we love and what rents we might get and how much we're willing to pay. But no one's really telling the truth because nobody wants to give up their you know, unique business plan or idea that they have. Whereas Eric and I can go into that conversation and you know, have that same conversation. And then we can say, oh, well, you know, if you're buying apartments in Southern California, who's financing those for you? Who's renovating your apartments? Where do you buy your building materials from? So there's three different avenues that we could generate business at one of our companies on top of the, you know, boring conversation that you started with. Are you calling me boring? I didn't say law. I didn't say law. We're not starting a law firm. That's for sure. I don't understand that world. I lean heavily on you. But, um, but you know, and a lot of it, and a lot of it's just been born from the fact that we're, you know, we get very, very frustrated with the way other people do things. You know, I grew up in Boston. You know, we're not as uh, as courteous as, as you West Coasters, uh, Mr. Friedman. I know you're a Midwesterner, Andrew. Uh, so, you know, maybe less courteous uh, but uh, than, than Eric, but that's also more courteous than Boston. And so we're kind of like, you know, hey, you know, we don't like the way you do things. Pound sand, we're going to do it better and we're going to do it ourselves. And we're going to offer those services and take out some competition. 
Well, just to correct you, I did grow up here in Los Angeles. I was only educated. Oh, you went to college there. Well, your formative years. Yes. Yes. So, uh, um, all right. So, right, Andrew, you were east of the 405? East of the 405. Absolutely. East side of town. You're, you're a West sider. Uh, so what of all of the different, um, avenues that you guys transact and participate in the real estate business, what are you most excited about sitting here at the end of 2022 going into 2023? So I think we're in a time of tremendous uncertainty and, when Eric and I think about how we should evolve going forward, we think about the past and we think about 2008 and what transpired then, which was similar to what a lot of people are going through right now. Uh, we were new syndicators into the business. We had all these great hopes of huge promotes because values were skyrocketing. And then the rug got pulled out from underneath us. And so as a result of that, uh, that experience, that knowledge, we realized that we needed to have a variety of streams of income that would be resilient through all cycles uh, of the real estate market. And so as we sit here today, you know, as it comes, as, as it relates to our existing real estate portfolio, we never overly aggressive, we, we weren't overly aggressive in, uh, in buying new assets for the last two to three years. So we really missed out on that we looked at the market and we said, everything's very frothy right now. The, the cost of an existing apartment building is bumping up against the cost of new construction. Let's back off. Uh, so we don't have a, 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 you know, are there things that we're certainly watching in terms of our legacy portfolio? Yes. Do we have any fire drills right now? You know, thankfully, no. Uh, so we're, we're certainly watching prices drop. Uh, not to a point where we're feeling aggressively. Uh, uh, we're not. We're not. We're not in buy mode quite yet, but we're getting close to that. Uh, so that's a, an opportunity we're really excited about. Uh, our building materials business is booming. Supply chain issues globally have driven a tremendous amount of business to to us, and so we're uh, currently distributing. Uh, luxury interior finishes nationally. And we're in a round of fundraising right now to expand the business um, with a, a, not just delivering materials nationally, but opening up additional locations to have a national footprint. Uh, that's really exciting. Uh, on our construction business, which is local to Southern California, uh, we have a, a, lar- a captive labor force. Uh, so we're booming on that front. And on our uh, real estate finance platform, Valeda Capital, we, uh, we launched really at the right time. We started making loans just a few months ago, so we don't have any legacy portfolio issues there. And as the capital markets are getting squeezed and people are looking for lenders, you know, we're sitting here waving and saying, hey, we're open for business, you know, uh, come on in. And then our, our last uh, uh, platform right now that we're uh, driving hard on is we have acquired a handful of uh, either vacant land sites and, and uh, covered land plays to do our multifamily high-density uh, entitlement. And that's really exciting. And we're still looking for additional sites, but we certainly recognize that regardless of where purchase, you know, asset prices go, 
and rents, they might go up or down 5% in the next 12 months, who knows? But there's still a tremendous housing shortage throughout the state of California and exceptionally short in Southern California and more specifically where we are in the South Bay of Los Angeles. They haven't really built anything in 35 years. And so we very quietly and under the radar amassed you know, an 1100 unit uh, portfolio of to be entitled units. And we're really excited about that. So there's a lot we're excited about. Yeah, I mean, we could do a, an hour show on each of those uh, verticals. We so, could. Yeah. So, Eric, talk in, in general uh, or in total, how many employees uh, do you guys have? We've got within the separate companies, uh, property management, we have a little over 50 employees. Uh, those are everything from our managers to our maintenance techs to our corporate staff. At the turnaround solutions to Soro, which is what Steve was talking about, the renovations and materials business about 35 employees and we have a lot of people out in the field every day uh, renovating because turnaround solutions is the renovation company and Tesoro is the materials business and Valeda has about eight employees right now so it's a, that's a growing entity so we're we are kind of it, it's my role I'm sort of staying in the lane of a CFO position so I'm sort of overseeing each one of those operating accounts and then also the ownership accounts of those entities uh, so it is sort of a you know it's it is a you know get the right people in the right place to do what they can do. And then everyone's doing their job, right? So there's really no fire drills that occur because we, that was the first thing we learned, right? You got to get the right team, the right mentality. You got to have people that are motivated. You know, Steve and I were motivated. We, I mean, it, it's cliche, but we started on his dining room table in his apartment in Hermosa Beach, you know? So let's, let's go all the way back to that dining room table in Hermosa. Um, how did you capitalize your first deal? So the very first deal that we bought, I had, uh, I had left my private equity job and uh, we put in a building uh, into S. Oh, we lost Steve. This is live. This is live podcasting. This Eric, take over for Steve. By <laughs> the way, for those, those are watching, Eric actually just killed Steve and is now the sole, along with Jimmy Killian, uh, there's now only two founders of, of this company. Oh, Steve is now. We'll, but we'll always speak highly of Steve. <laughs> no, the, the um, you know, it's 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 funny as Steve logs back in. The, the the joke is, and I said it at his at his wedding, um, his his grandfather gave an incredible speech. And then Steve said, I'd like uh, one of my best men, Eric Friedman, to say something. And I said, uh, you know, basically, you know, Steve, I'm your longest relationship you've ever had. <laughs> 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 and, uh, you know, and, and it's true. And, and, and it's, it kind of goes back to the beginning, right? We talk about teams and emotions and getting along. When, when Steve and I started the company, it was in October, I came down and started helping him out. And my background was diligence at Arthur Anderson, which that's an entirely other podcast as well. Um, Not as fun. And we said, hey, listen, can we work together and still be friends? And Steve and I are both A personalities. Um, Steve, much more A personality than I am. When we, were, when we started working, we said, oh, listen, let's give this a shot. So from October, you know, through December of that year, we just kind of went down there and just see if we could get along. Because at the end of the day, the friendship was more important than the work. And I'm sorry I had a technical issue. No, no that's, that's okay. okay. We fired you, Steve. So I'm uh, good. I'm back. I'm on fire. I'm unfireable. You can't, you can't get rid of me. I'm like kudzu. Uh, anyway, you know, to answer your question about how we – Oh, hold on, hold on. I was in the middle of an anecdote. Let me just finish the anecdote and we'll cut back. He was oh. talking about his best man speech at your yeah. wedding, Steve. It was very emotional. It was very emotional. This, so, this, 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 just trying to get back to what he's saying is already longer than his best man speech. 
So we basically, the, the, that was the whole mantra is could we be friends? And cause that's what ruins things, right? Business, money, you know, things that deal with that, you know, could we get along? And I think the fact that we're coming up on 20 years now um, proves that, you know, that first 90 days that we took to say, could we work together and still at the end of the day, be friends um, held true. And that's really what's held true and what's helped grow our business and company because at the end of the day, the employees, our partners, everyone looks at us, they know that we're two heads of the same body. And, and that goes a long way when we, when you argue bet the jockey, not the horse. So whose who's body are your heads on? I like Steve's to say he's much bigger and stronger than I am. Okay. You I can answer that. That's a, that's, that's just a, that's a, that's a tough question to answer. It's too tough. I should have waited for the I think, I think, I think, I think the reality is, is, you know, it's really, it's generally easier to work with people to become friends with people you work with than to go to work with people that you're friends with. That's yeah. a very dangerous, difficult thing to do. And Eric and I truly, I mean, it's been very fortunate. You know, we, we bring very different, you know, skill sets to the table and, you know, as friends and business partners for as long as we've been, you know, it's, it's truly, you have to be able to have the hard conversations at work and then walk out of that alpha's door, put it all to the side and be able to have a beer together and keep that friendship strong. And I mean, remarkably, you know, have we had our arguments and disagreements over the years? Absolutely. You know, no relationship of 20 years doesn't have those, but we work through them very quickly. And the underlying, uh, uh, you know, uh, mutual concept is that we tremendously respect each other. And without that, you can't have a partnership. And, you know, beyond that, and I'd say even beyond that, you know, the trust factor, you know, we, we, I, you know, truly trust Eric with my life and I hope he feels the same. Uh, I feel like he does. Eric, do you? <laughs> this is, this is going to turn into a, a Hallmark, uh, movie that that for the christmas holidays this is going to be beautiful um so we're launching this podcast at the right time all right look can we get into the real estate this is what my five million uh followers and and um listeners want to hear okay maybe not about the relationship between eric freeman and steve they, ludwig wait they may they, they would rather hear about what color we paint a building than letting steve and i delve into our personal relationship with each other um, you're right. Let's go back to that. Uh, all right. So we're back to your dining room table in Hermosa beach. Uh, how'd you capitalize your first deal or the first few deals? Sure. So the very first deal we put, as I had said before, I technologically bonked 170 units into escrow in Sherman Oaks for $16 million. And by the way, that's uh, quite a first deal. I mean, usually quite a first deal, like a, a fourplex. You know, I knew how to put together a financial model and really not much else. And so I got, I went on, I used the internet, which was available to me at the time. And I looked up and I had an Excel, Excel, Excel spreadsheet of about 300 potential real estate investors that I got IREI.com and their glossary of uh, private equity firms. And I just went on the website, I found an acquisition person and I started calling one by one. I think at about 168 phone calls, I got to a company who said, great looking investments. Who are you? Never going to invest with you. You're never going to close this deal. And when you don't, I'm going to be the guy that buys it right behind you. And he hung up the phone on me. 
And then eventually, by the time I got to about 300, where my list stopped, uh, I had received a call from a young gentleman who now runs Carlisle's real estate practice by the name of Jason Hart. He and I were co-analysts together at Prudential Securities and their real estate investment banking group straight out of school. We spent a night at the bar together when we were 22, hanging out. And he, at that point in time, uh, had left and joined the Pradium Group in New York, a real estate private equity firm. And he uh, you know, calls me on my cell phone and on the package. And he goes, is this the same Steve Ludwig with I got totally shit-faced with in New York? And I said, absolutely. Because I have this real estate offering memorandum in front of me and it looks like a decent deal. Lo and behold, Pradium funded our first investment. I give up. Oh, we were hearing it. Steve gave up on us. Eric, take yeah. it from there. But I can't believe that for your so most people's trajectory is to start with smaller deals, syndicate, pass the hat, friends, family, and grow from there, and then eventually graduate to a joint venture structure. You guys out of the gates had uh, a company that was willing to provide you, I assume, what, 90 to 95% of the equity? Yeah. So, so I mean, I make the joke, and it, it, it's not really a joke, but I make the comment, you know, at the end of the day, we're finance geeks, right? We're not, that, that's what we are. And so Steve, who started Prudential Banking and Prudential Investment Banking, went on to Colony Capital, knew bigger deals. The, the, you know, Prudential's not doing a duplex or a triplex. They're no, of course not. Colony is buying big things. I was at Arthur Anderson. We were doing transaction work with Universal, you know, big companies. And so when we came into the into the game, that's what we understood. Like a duplex wasn't something we do. We understood you find a building, you find the equity, and the equity is the private, you know, is, is the whether it's the private REIT or the public REIT, and they'll fund ninety percent, and then you got to go raise ten percent. I think the big but, learning but usually, but usually, Eric, a a joint an institutional private equity capital provider um, isn't going to back a company's first deal in, in real estate that they want to see a track record. So that goes back to the relationships, right? That goes back to being transparent and, you know, betting the jockey, not the horse. And I know I've already said that once, but it was Jason Hart, right? So he saw the book, he knew Steve, he had worked with Steve, right? So, you know, the guy, you've worked with the guy, you understand it. It's in a geography that you don't trust anyone else to be in, or you don't know anybody else there. So it was one of those things where we operate in a, a mutual friend of ours, you know, John Monkarsh likes to say, you know, it's a small sandbox, right? So real estate we operate in, everyone knows each other, you know, you want to be good to the person, right? My dad used to say, there's always a third conversation, the conversation you have in the meeting, you leave, you're going to have a conversation and they're going to have a conversation about you. So you always want to be presentable and you always want to make sure that you leave as a positive person and a positive note. Um, and so that was the connection. Like, you know, it's funny without that night at a bar when they were 22 in New York, I doubt we get that first deal done, you know, but it goes down to, you know, who do you want to work with? You know, it's not always about the money. You don't want to get into a deal where, where it's about the money because the money, right. The 90% partner will find a way to burn you at the end of the day or doesn't care about you to help you grow. The deals we've done, the partners we've had, and when I say partners, not friends and family, but the big REITs, we, we work together. You know, we, we've yeah. had you know, issues, deals, we work through them, we work together for the end goal because we all know we're working for the same end result, the same goal. So um, I think without that connection, that human connection, which is today difficult to do with COVID and videos and everything, it's hard to get that first you know, $16 million deal done. So um, over your 20-year 
period. And we're focusing, at least for now, on on the multifamily uh, owner operator value add type of strategy that you guys are well known uh, for. What percentage of your deals, at least on the equity side, are capitalized through these joint venture relationships where they provide the vast majority of the equity? And what percentage did, or have you done syndications of friends and family? Have you done funds uh, uh, and, and capitalizing it that way? I don't, I don't want to break it down as a percentage. I would say we have two different business plans. Mm-hmm. Um, business plan A would be re, uh, real estate, you know, call it 10 million, 15 million and under in good core locations that you can, we can buy, we can set up a financial structure to hold the asset forever, to sell it in a year if we wanted to, and now it's with friends and family. And so it, we're able to work through that and sort of grow that, that business plan, right? And those are the 15 unit, the 20 unit, the 25 unit buildings in Culver City and Beverly Hills and the South Bay. Plan B is to buy bigger assets with the REITs. And, and with those, what you end up doing is you end up giving up control. Yeah. Right? At the end of the day, you, you control the day to day, but you don't control, you know, what's happening. What's good for the fund is not necessarily good for you uh, type. And that's what I tell uh, my clients and contacts every day where, where um, especially people who have done syndications and feel like um, they want to graduate. Steve, you're back. Uh, it's and you're in your car now. You know, Andrew, you're very finicky about having a solid background. So I left my cozy environment where I was set up. I had a charger. I had everything going. And I went to an office. And this is what you guys get. But I think there's a lesson to be learned here in the world of real estate, and it's about backup and redundancy. And so even though I was gone, my partner, Eric, was here to carry the show. He was. Yeah, he did say he's taking 90% of the promote on your next deal. But uh, um, besides he's earned that, it. He, yeah. as, you can uh, see, as you can see, it's like he's like Steve Sachs and I'm Mickey Hatcher. And I had to come in and I had to hit a single. And, and keep this game rolling and crawl so, the home plate to hit home plate. All of our viewers or listeners who are under the age of probably 35 or 40 don't even know who you're talking about, uh, especially if they're not from LA. And Real Talk is a national and global podcast. So when they're listening in China and India and Africa and Australia, they may not know these obscure 1988 Dodger figures who won us a world series and probably are really our only legitimate world series because 2000. What do you have against, what do you have against South America, by the way? I didn't say South America. Did I'm I? like, I'm like no. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer for Manchester United and, and Steve's like David Beckham. All I'm right. Come in, in the 89th minute and score the goal that he couldn't score, but you know, I'll let him take the pictures. I'll let him take all the prize. That, that, that's good. You, you, you are great partners for that. So we were in the middle of talking about the different ways you guys are capitalizing your deals, the joint venture model, uh, the syndication model, and the pros and cons of both. And so um, as, as I was about to say before Steve rudely interrupted me by rejoining our podcast. Um, You're welcome. He, so you have this choice, right, of herding cats and having 10, 20, 30 investors in a small deal where they're putting in, I don't know, 50,000, $100,000, $250,000 increments and, and answering the questions of, of you know many investors on one deal, Ver, but you're controlling the decision-making process versus doing the larger deals, but having little to no control, really ant- working for someone, working for a group, working for a New York-based Wall Street private equity company, but you're able to do larger deals 
is there a better or worse, or you just have those two different um, business models? So uh, as you correctly alluded to, there are pros and cons to each. I think, you know, beyond there being a better and worse, I think there's also the word necessity. And um, regardless of what you think is better or worse, you might, one of those might not be an option to you. And so you might, your path may have been chosen for you. And over time, as you grow a track record, then as you have more optionality, uh, you can then make those decisions. I think that sometimes, uh, you know, there's capital that's better suited for different types of deals. Um, you know, if it's a large deal, it might be, even, you know, too, mu too many people in a deal uh, that even though you might have control of the deal, there's just too many investors. Uh, if you do fund a large deal and it's 2022 and you've got to refinance it and you highly leveraged it at the acquisition and instead of refinancing out your 75% loan to cost, you can get a 60% loan to cost and you have to make a massive capital call and you have 50, 100, 200 investors. And now all of a sudden you're really trying to herd cats for people to reinvest into the deal. Some do, some don't. Then you got to go back to the ones that do and see if they want to go after and take down the ones that didn't. It can be a lot of work. Whereas you might have an institutional investor who, uh, you know, they believe in the investment long-term. There's a capital call. They put up the additional money. You put up your co-investment share and you're done. Uh, I think, I think in terms of what your hold period is, you know, if you are a long-term holder, institutional capital is less of a, a, a match than private capital. Yeah. Uh, so I think, I think there's a lot of factors. And I think the way that we approach every deal is considering, you know, the pros and cons that we've learned over time and then matching the appropriate capital to the deal. You know, it's interesting when you were talking, Steve, about that fame infamous night in the bar with, was it Jason Hart? Uh, um, when you guys yes. were 22 years old, Similarly, a deal like that happened uh, where you called me a few years ago and you said, do you know anyone um, who may be interested in about 14, 15 smallish buildings, but aggregate, you know, it's a big deal in, in the South Bay. And I was having dinner with uh, Ryan Kaplan of Goldman Sachs. And I said, hey, Ryan, by any chance, are you interested in 14 or 15 deals uh, in the South Bay? Uh, or 14 to 15 properties in the South Bay. He's like, huh, sounds interesting. Do you like the guys? I said, there's one I like. There's one I re I don't really like. Now, you're going to have to make that decision. Did you notice the Freudian slip that you said there? While you were trying to, you know, haphazardly put me down, you said, I really like, and then you actually had to backtrack and say, really don't like. So you really said, I, I like Garrick, but you were going to say, I really like Steve. But then you reversed course. I caught that. Just want yeah. you to know that. Keep going, please. Um, no, but, but, and maybe this is just a way to pat myself on the back perhaps, but um, it is all about the relationships and right timing where I happen to be having dinner. You called and I, I don't know if the two of you would have connected and you guys have been able to transact on hopefully is a very successful deal for you guys and for Goldman and, um, uh, and the rest is history. Yeah. And, you know, you talk about, uh, and by the way, first and foremost, thank you for that. It was uh uh, a fortuitous introduction that's gone very well. Uh, Ryan's a, an outstanding uh, person and, and person to work with too. Uh, 
but uh, you know, we needed to raise $40 million of equity in a very short period of time. We had a $2 million non-refundable deposit uh, out there. And again, you know, if we had uh, a long enough runway to go out and raise $40 million of capital to get that deal closed, or if we could at the time, maybe, maybe we would have under that specific set of circumstances, we needed a large check very quickly. And, and we wanted, you know, an assurity of close and, you know, I'm going to call it a relatively complex, uh, yet straightforward apartment transaction. Uh, and so having an institutional partner made a lot of sense. Yeah. Well, so we're sitting in a uh, interesting period, um, you know, came out of COVID 2021, easily the, the most, uh, the voluminous, most voluminous uh, year of my career last year, heading into early sec first half of 2022, the, the engines kept on revving and, and uh, tons of deal flow cap rates coming down, interest rates basically at zero. And then overnight, the whole market has shifted with interest rates uh, spiking, uh, cap rates going up. Uh, the access to capital has really um, diminished both on the equity side and on the debt side. Mm -hmm. So you guys are in so many different positions from uh, apartments to ground up to now a debt fund, which I want to talk about, and on the construction materials and labor side. Where, How are you positioning yourself going into 2023? Uh, where do you think you're going to be most active? I, I let, let me answer quickly and then I'll let Steve talk about Tesoro. Uh, but I think our, our covered land plays, our entitlement plays in the South Bay have really hit the perfect timing, to be honest with you, because those things lie, lie dead for two years while you're getting things entitled. And so what are you trying to build there in your different uh, locations? What Steve mentioned earlier, the, the 1,100 units over there. But mm -hmm. the reality is it's a dead period when you're entitling something, you know, whether it's covered or not covered. Mm -hmm. You have periods where it's not entitled. So I think that we've hit perfectly because uh, it's going to take that time period where nothing would happen anyway, whether the market's great or not. Our mortgages, our interest is in place and we're working through the processes and the cities are excited to work with us. So I think for that standpoint, we, we sort of hit the hit the ball on the head there. Uh, we'll pass it off to, I guess you're over there, to Steve to talk about his thoughts on uh, Tesoro and Turnaround Solutions, which is our renovation materials business for 2023. Uh you know, just to also add to the development side, you know, perfect timing also because construction costs have spiked 40% in the last, you know, two to three years. And now they're starting to trend down. So we've avoided that spike. You know, anyone that's got a floating rate construction loan, loan outstanding right now uh, is feeling that pain. We're avoiding that right now. And because our uh, majority of our land play deals are covered um, and rented out, uh, at a positive cash flow uh, 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 scenario, we can be patient and be more, uh, we can choose when we want to launch construction in the future without it being punitive to our investment. Uh, so on, on the Tesoro side, the building materials company, we are again, uh, We've organically grown the business, uh, utilizing profits from our companies and from the business itself to expand. 
but right now the volume of purchases that are coming towards us uh, is you know greater than call it the cash on hand. So we're doing what any you know uh, 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 young growing business is doing, which is uh, starting down the capital raise path so that we can get out ahead of the curve and be able to confidently process all purchase orders uh, and plan for future growth. So that's very exciting for us. And uh, as we've alluded to earlier, you know, it's really about building a A-plus team, uh, which we have to date and continuing to add A-plus players to that team. Uh, and, uh, you know, so it's, an, it's a, you know, it's not just a, a building materials business is, you know, part sales uh, and then uh, big part logistics. So we're really building a logistics company uh, and the infrastructure around that, which is really exciting. Uh, and we're just going to, you know, keep our heads down and uh, grow the business uh, throughout 2023. Uh, we uh, probably expect to do four times the volume in 2023 that we did in 2022, uh, strictly because, I mean, we had a, a very strong 2022, but it's a young business. So the rate of growth is obviously exponentially higher early in a company's Sure. Life cycle, uh, and then on the on the uh, real estate finance platform, Valeda Capital. Again, you know, uh, it's better to be lucky than good, oftentimes. And we don't have a, a problematic legacy portfolio because we don't have a legacy portfolio. We're new to the market, and while there are lenders dropping from the market in droves. Uh, we're standing tall, well capitalized with, uh, you know, a lot of cash to lend. And, you know, that's a great opportunity for us. People so, will so always be opportunistic in their buying patterns. And so there will be the group of people that are on the sidelines waiting for the market to stabilize. And there will be a lot of people out there who are making opportunistic purchases that are making aggressive offers from a timing perspective. You know, they might be paying market, but to get the deal they have to close quickly. And that's where a company like Valeda Capital comes in because we can close in as little as two weeks. Uh, and our borrowers can feel confident that, uh, you know, in the, in our execution. And so we're, you know, we're really excited about that business plan as well. The one thing we have taken very seriously, we don't joke about is the fiduciary responsibilities we have for our companies and for our investors. So I think when times come to this point where the markets are changing and we saw it in 08, um, it's, our investors know that they can trust us. Our investors know that if they have a question, Steve or I or one of our other partners get back to them immediately. And I think that sort of relationship with your investors, whether it's the REITs or whether it's, you know, your aunt or uncle or your friend or your friend's friend um, helps build, you know, that, that, um, that asset for you, that th these are people that I want to work with. These are fun people. But at the end of the day, these are people looking out for me so I can sleep at night because I know when they get up in the morning, they're worried about my investment with them. So I think that's a that's a key, key proponent, especially when you hit a market like this, where people kind of go, I don't really know where to invest. I don't, you know, I have money. I hear the market's going bad. What do I do? And they look at Steve and I and they go, I can trust those guys. And well, they're heavily invested alongside us. And, you know, we always tell people that, uh, look, in, in good times, uh, you know, we're all going to, you know, uh, ride the, ride the, ride the good times together. But when times turn and they do, because the market's cyclical, we're heavily invested side by side with you. 
And if we have to walk by walk through fire, we're going to do it together. We're not going to abandon an investment. And I've seen it both literally and figuratively with you guys. All right, I like to end my podcast uh, on a little like lightning round. And uh, so the first question for both of you, not long answers. So quick answers, Mr. Hey. Ludwig and Friedman. Um, if you weren't in the real estate conglomerate business, which is what you call yourself, what would you be doing? Eric, I'll let you go first. Probably business management. Scintillating. <laughs> I think I would be doing, uh, I would I would somehow be involved with like great white shark research, free diving, you know, spear fishing, monster shark catching YouTube channel. See, that's the type of answer I'm looking for, Eric. So on the next I'd, question, I, I, I'd be the business director at AC Milan. Okay, there you go. So sure. I thought you were going to say something with uh, uh, curating 1980s uh, reference movies, references, something like that. <laughs> he is the king. He is the king. I know he is. He is the king. All right. Best yeah. advice. Best advice someone has given you. Eric, go. Best advice someone has given me. Um, what I said with, with, from my dad, there's always a second conversation. I thought it was uh, witness nothing, live longer. That's just the mantra I live by, but yes. <laughs> uh, I think, I think uh, two, two pieces of advice that uh, uh, I love cliches. So, uh, but at lunch one day, one of our investors is also a, a, re a now re retired real estate attorney. He asked me a question. He looked at me and says, do you, do you want to be rich or do you want to be wealthy? And I said, I don't understand the difference. And he looked at me and he said, wealthy people never sell. And that separately, you know, somebody else said to me, uh, I think it was Ben Leeds said to me, when you sell, you lose. And so are you going to take that advice? We try to hang on to everything as long as we can. You know, it kind of goes back to, you know, going back to the beginning of our earlier conversation about private versus institutional capital. You know, institutional capital generally has a sale mandate associated with it, and private capital tends to be more flexible and long-term if you pitch it that way. So in 2023, do you think you're going to be net buyers or net sellers? Hmm. That's a tough question. Buyers. Yeah, I want to say buyers. But let me, let, me, let me flip this lightning round back to you. Andrew, we moved, we moved our business to you. What, what about Steve and I and our companies made you feel that you would get into business with us? That's wow. a good one. So, by the way, you are the first uh, podcast to ask a question of me. So now I have to be prepared. But since I am also a narcissistic at heart, I love to be the one who <laughs> does answer the questions. Um, so uh, on a serious note, I do remember our meeting in El Segundo uh, in your meeting in your uh, office along along with Jimmy. Um, uh, what I see in you guys, and this isn't bullshit. This is it's a, a why I wanted you on on my podcast. B why I want to work with you. C why I mean, Steve, I know you're down in San Diego, and we don't see as much of each other, uh, but we definitely should. I know you've invited me to come down uh, along with Will Walker, um, but I mean this that that. You know, we have, we're blessed with a lot of clients and I see a lot of different personalities, but 
Um, it's very important to work with people, whether it's an attorney-client relationship, whether it's a partnership uh, relationship, where you truly, genuinely respect the other, you like the other uh, parties, and you trust them. And so when I got that phone call from you, Steve, uh, of who do you know um, for, for that deal in the South Bay, that portfolio deal, I had not only did I not have any qualms in putting my neck on the line to to introduce you to people, I relish that opportunity because I know that you guys, A, would make me look good, but B, you're just really trustworthy, good-natured people. And um, that's important because I think one of you were saying, you know, when times are going well that we all experienced, especially last year and leading up to COVID, you know, it's easy for for. I don't want to say easy, but it's easier for people to to do well and you know sing kumbaya. But it's you really understand and and know the the true character of someone when you go through tough times, when you go through those first four to six months of COVID, when you're going through a rising interest rate environment, when you're going through um, a liquidity crunch. And so I um, would trust you guys uh, implicitly and enjoy working with you. So how's that as an answer? I like that answer. That was good. There's some edits. I should say yeah. this as well. We, we do have our, our third partner, Jimmy Killian, uh, age bracket wise. Um, you know, Jimmy's younger than us. Steve and I are about the same age, although he's older a little bit, but I'll say this COVID you had mentioned was very interesting because what I learned during COVID is that there were days I didn't talk to Steve, maybe two or three days. I didn't talk to Steve or Jimmy or whatnot. But at no point in that period, and, I, and I've talked to them about this and they agree with me, were we concerned about what we were doing? Because we all knew what our roles were, what we were trying to accomplish, and we all trusted each other implicitly, and Stephen mentioned it before, to get that job done. And I think if you're going to grow a company, if you're going to have partners, you have to have that trust that everyone is working for the common good that is the goal. And so I think COVID kind of proved that out. We, we knew it before. But I think COVID kind of made it very clear, um, which was, you know, a, something to come out of something horrible. Yeah, no, it tested all of our resolve. Steve, I'll give you the final word. Is this is a closing argument as opposed to like a question? <laughs> is this just like an open mic moment for me? You I mean, beware, no, beware you of this. Be I mean, I'll take it. I'll take it. As far as I'm concerned, I mean, I think I have 11 minutes and four seconds because you said this was an hour. So we're going to cut it shorter than that because <laughs> oh. uh, I have, I have advertise, advertisers that want, you know, to utilize. A lot of, uh, <laughs> I think we're four of the five advertisers. So, you know, um, you know, I, I, I think this is a well, first of all, thank you for having us both on. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, and second, I think the reason why we haven't hung out in a while is because the last time we dined together, I think that you got bored of me asking like all the different wait staff interesting questions about their life. And, you know, you wanted to uh, move on from the dinner with me, but I'm not insulted by that. I'm just, you know, I'm curious about people in general, uh, but we could do it again anytime you want. Uh, but lastly, I, you know, I think what, what's going to be interesting is, is we have had such a long, you know, run of success in the real estate industry, especially the multifamily industry that people forget to, uh, dot their I's and cross their T's and realize that a solid foundation is paramount to getting through challenging times. And in 2008, when Eric and I were young bucks in the industry and 
you know, feeling really positive and energetic about everything that was going on or prior to that, we started to see some of our peers in the industry disappearing and going into other industries and there being that shakeout. And I think that we're going to go through another shakeout right now. And so, you know, you don't want to see anybody fail. We only want to see people around us, our peers be incredibly successful. Uh, but, you know, opportunistically speaking, it's been, uh, uh, very heavy in our sector. And so we're looking forward, uh, eyes wide open with tremendous, uh, excitement for the opportunity that we know is lying ahead. And it's not, it, there's still so much capital on the sidelines. It's going to be very hard to find those opportunities, but you know, for everyone out there, staying hungry, staying focused, uh, you know, doing your job, and finding opportunities, they'll be there. That was the quite the final word. Uh, That's I my Bill Belichick speech. You know, I'm, I'm a Bostonian, so well, I always try to, you know, they have a big game throw tonight. a little. I'm not sure when this podcast will air, um, but Bills, Bills, pay go Pats, go Pats. Let's go. Let's do it. And Friedman, you're a Raider fan. I don't know what to say about them really this I year. I don't know anymore what I am. They moved away when I was a kid, but I do still have my Los Angeles Raiders hat. Maybe that's why I'm stuck in the eighties. I mean, my life stopped. Andrew, who do you root for? I'm a Dodger fan. You cut me open. I bleed Dodger blue. Uh, Has anybody ever got like, do you know anybody who grew up in Los Angeles and roots for the chargers? I met a guy yesterday who did. I swear to I, I swear to God, I did. And I was like, "You grew up here, and you root for the Chargers." Like, yeah, I I, I've got close team. friends who who went from Raider fan to Charger fan, and I think it's similar of how I became a Clipper fan. I became a Clipper fan when they moved to Staples Center in 2000 because I was too cheap to pay for Laker tickets, and I became a Clipper fan. And I think Charger right. tickets are less expensive than Rams tickets. That's it. Right. So, guys. I truly appreciate your time. I appreciate your friendship and your business. And uh, uh, I can't wait to see uh, the future of your 42 different divisions and conglomerates. And uh, I, I know at least one of them will be successful. Um, but thank you guys uh, for coming on to The Real Talk. No, thank Thanks you. for having us. This, is, this has been a lot of fun. And we, we appreciate all the support that you and Sklar Kirsch has given us since we made the change to your law firm. It's been a, it's been a great run together. I appreciate it. All right, guys. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. You've been listening to Real Talk, real estate discussions with Andrew Kirsch. You can catch prior episodes at www.sklarkirsch.com and on YouTube, LinkedIn, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Thank you for your positive reviews, comments, and sharing this show with others.